On April 15, 1912, the largest and most luxurious ship in the world, just four days into its maiden voyage, would strike an iceberg and sink, killing 1,500 of the 2,240 people on board. My older listeners will probably already know about this accident, thanks to Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet. But if you're one of my younger listeners, you might just now be hearing about this tragic accident. This week, we're discussing the Titanic. What caused this massive ship, once believed to be unsinkable, to be lost to the ocean? Find out on this week's episode of Narcosis Into the Deep. Hey everyone, I'm your host Alex and welcome back to Narcosis Into the Deep. This week we're discussing the Titanic. We'll go over a little bit about how it was made, its maiden voyage, and what happened to the ship after it sank. Without further ado, let's go ahead and dive into this week's episode. The Royal Mail Ship, RMS Titanic, often referred to as just Titanic, was a British luxury passenger liner that sank between April 14th and April 15th, 1912. It's a famous tragedy that occurred in modern history and has inspired numerous stories, films, and musicals. In the early 1900s, the transatlantic passenger trade was highly profitable and very competitive. Many ships were needed to transport wealthy travelers and immigrants. Competitors of those who built the Titanic had recently debuted two new ships who were well known for their speed and would later set speed records in the Atlantic Ocean. Looking to counter these competitors and their new ships, the builders of the Titanic wanted to focus more on luxury rather than speed. On March 31, 1909, the Titanic's keel, which is essentially the backbone of the ship, was finally laid. In addition to the ornate decorations, the Titanic featured an immense first-class dining saloon, four elevators, and a swimming pool. Its second-class accommodations were more comparable to first-class features on other ships, and its third-class offerings, although modest, were still noted for relative comfort. As to safety elements, the Titanic had 16 compartments that included doors which could be closed from the bridge so that water could be contained in the event that the hole was breached. The ship's builders claimed that four of the compartments could be flooded without endangering the liner's buoyancy. This system would lead many to claim that the Titanic was unsinkable. But the watertight compartment design contained a flaw that was a critical factor in the Titanic's sinking. While the individual bulkheads were indeed watertight, The walls separating the bulkheads extended only a few feet above the waterline, so water could pour from one compartment into another, especially if the ship began to list or pitch forward. In early of April 1912, the Titanic underwent its sea trials, after which the ship was declared seaworthy. As it prepared to embark on its maiden voyage, the Titanic was one of the largest and most opulent ships in the world. The Titanic was approximately 882 and a half feet long, or 269 meters long, and about 92 and a half feet, 
or 28.2 meters wide at its widest point. On April 10, 1912, nearly three years after construction began, the Titanic set sail on its maiden voyage traveling from Southampton, England to New York City. Nicknamed the Millionaire Special, the ship was fittingly captained by Edward J. Smith, who was known as the Millionaire's Captain because of his popularity with wealthy passengers. In a haunting foreshadowing, the maiden voyage nearly began with a collision when suction from the Titanic caused the docked New York to swing into the giant liner's path. Finally, after a few hours of maneuvering, the Titanic was underway. On the evening of April 10th, the ship stopped at Cherbourg, France. The city's dock was too small to accommodate the Titanic, so passengers had to be ferried to and from the ship in tenders. On the morning of April 11th, the ship made its last scheduled stop in Europe, at Queenstown, Ireland. Then, at approximately 1.30 p.m., the ship set sail for New York City. On board were some 2,200 people, Approximately 1,300 of these people were passengers. Throughout much of the voyage, the wireless radio operators on the Titanic, Jack Phillips and Harold Bride, had been receiving iceberg warnings, most of which were passed along to the bridge. The two men worked for the Marconi Company, and much of their job was relaying passengers' messages. On the evening of April 14th, the Titanic began to approach an area known to have icebergs. The captain, Edward Smith, slightly altered the ship's course to head farther south. However, he maintained the ship's speed of some 22 knots, which is approximately 25.3 miles per hour, or 40.7 kilometers per hour. At approximately 9.40 p.m., the Masaba, a nearby ship, sent a warning of an ice field. The message, however, was never relayed to the Titanic's bridge. At 10.55 p.m., another nearby liner, the Californian, sent word that it had stopped after becoming surrounded by ice. Phillips, who was handling passenger messages at the time, scolded the Californian for interrupting him. Assessing the lookout situation, the two lookouts, Frederick Fleet and Reginald Lee, were stationed in the crow's nest of the Titanic. Their task was made difficult by the fact that the ocean was unusually calm that night. Because there would be little water breaking at its base, an iceberg would be more difficult to spot. In addition to this, the crow's nest binoculars were missing. I want to take a quick break so I can tell you about a new podcast that I've been listening to, Bag of Hammers. Andy, Kenny, Joe, and Donnie are four men who work together for a concrete contractor. Sharing their insights and experience in the industry, they have hilarious stories, thought-provoking conversations, and even discuss some of the worst disasters to occur in the construction industry. I love listening to podcasts that feel like I'm sitting with a group of friends, having a great time, laughing hard, and learning about a new topic. This is definitely one of those podcasts. So be sure to give Bag of Hammers a listen and let them know that Alex sent you.
At approximately 11.40 p.m., about 400 nautical miles, or 740 kilometers, south of Newfoundland, Canada, an iceberg was spotted and the bridge was notified. First Officer William Mordick ordered both the ship hard a starboard, a maneuver that under the system then in place would turn the ship to port or left, and the engines reversed. The Titanic began to turn, but it was too close to avoid a collision. The ship's starboard side scraped along the iceberg. At least five of its supposedly watertight compartments toward the bow were ruptured. After assessing the damage, Andrews determined that, as the ship's forward compartments filled with water, its bow would drop deeper into the ocean, causing water from the ruptured compartments to spill over into succeeding compartments, thus sealing the ship's fate. By reversing the engines, Mordek actually caused the Titanic to turn slower than if it had been moving at its original speed. Most experts believe the ship would have survived if it had hit the iceberg head-on. By the time the captain had toured the damaged area, five compartments were already filling with seawater, and the bow of the doomed ship was alarmingly pitched downward, allowing seawater to pour from one bulkhead into a neighboring compartment. Andrews did a quick calculation and estimated that the Titanic might remain afloat for an hour and a half, perhaps slightly more. At that point, the captain, who had already instructed his wireless operator to call for help, ordered the lifeboats to be loaded. One of the earliest distress signals first reached the Carpathia at approximately 12.20 a.m. on April 15th, and the ship immediately headed toward the stricken liner. However, the Carpathia was some 58 nautical miles, or 107 kilometers away when it received the signal and it would take more than three hours to reach the Titanic. Other ships also responded, including the Olympic, but all were too far away. A vessel was spotted nearby, but the Titanic was unable to contact it. The Californian was also in the vicinity, but its wireless had been turned off for the night. As attempts were made to contact nearby vessels, the lifeboats began to be launched with orders of women and children first. Although the Titanic's number of lifeboats exceeded that required by the British Board of Trade, its 20 boats could only carry 1,178 people, far short of the total number of passengers. This problem was also exacerbated by lifeboats being launched well below capacity, because crewmen worried that the Davids would not be able to support the weight of a fully loaded boat. The Titanic had canceled its scheduled lifeboat drill earlier that day, and the crew was unaware that the Davids had been tested in Belfast. Lifeboat number seven, which was the first to leave the Titanic, held only about 27 people, though it had space for 65. In the end, only 705 people would be rescued in lifeboats. As passengers waited to enter lifeboats, they were entertained by the Titanic's musicians, who initially played in the first-class lounge before eventually moving to the ship's deck. Sources differ on how long they performed, some reporting that it was until shortly before the ship sank. Speculation also surrounded the last song they performed. 
likely either autumn or nearer my god to thee but unfortunately none of the musicians survived the sinking by 1 a.m water was seen at the base or e-deck of the grand staircase Amid the growing panic, several male passengers tried to board lifeboat number 14, causing 5th officer Harold Lowe to fire his gun three times. Around this time, Captain Phillips' distress signals reflected a growing desperation as one noted that the ship, quote, cannot last much longer, end quote. As the Titanic's bow continued to sink, the stern began to rise out of the water, placing incredible strain on the midsection. At about 2 a.m., the stern's propellers were clearly visible above the water, and the only lifeboats that remained on the ship were three collapsible boats. Captain Smith released the crew, saying that, quote, it's every man for himself, end quote. He was reportedly last seen in the bridge, and his body was never found. At approximately 2.18 a.m., the lights of the Titanic went out. It then broke in two, with the bow going underwater. Reports later speculated that it took some six minutes for that section, likely traveling at approximately 30 miles or 48 kilometers per hour to reach the ocean bottom. The stern momentarily settled back in the water before rising again, eventually becoming vertical. It briefly remained in that position before beginning its final plunge. At 2.20 a.m., the ship foundered as the stern also disappeared beneath the Atlantic. Water pressure allegedly caused that section, which still had air inside, to implode as it sank. Hundreds of passengers and crew went into the icy water. Fearful of being swamped, those in lifeboats delayed returning to pick up survivors. By the time they rode back, almost all of the people in the water had died from exposure. The water was 28 degrees Fahrenheit, or negative 2.2 Celsius. In the end, more than 1,500 people perished. Aside from the crew, which had about 700 fatalities, third class suffered the greatest loss. Of approximately 710, only some 174 survived. Given the captain's failure to sound a general alarm, some third-class passengers did not realize the direness of the situation until it was too late. Many women also refused to leave their husbands and sons, while the difficulty of simply navigating the complex Titanic from the lower levels caused some to reach the top deck after most of the lifeboats had been launched. Finally, the Carpathia arrived at approximately 3.30 a.m., more than an hour after the Titanic sank. Lifeboat 2 was the first to reach the liner. Over the next several hours, the Carpathia picked up all survivors. At approximately 8.30 a.m., the Californian arrived, having heard the news some three hours earlier. Shortly before 9 a.m., the Carpathia headed for New York City, where it arrived to massive crowds on April 18th. In the end, only 705 people survived the sinking of the Titanic. Passengers traveling first class on the Titanic were roughly 44% more likely to survive than any other passenger. Although the majority of the dead were crew members and third class passengers, many of the era's wealthiest and most prominent families lost members. Among them, Isidore and Ida Strauss, 
and John Jacob Astor. In the popular mind, the glamour associated with the ship, its maiden voyage, and its notable passengers magnified the tragedy of its sinking. Legends arose almost immediately about the night's events, those who had died and those who survived. Heroes and heroines such as American Molly Brown, who had helped command a lifeboat, and Captain Arthur Henry Roston of the Carpathia were identified and celebrated by the press. Others, notably Ismay, who had found a place in a lifeboat and survived, were vilified. There was a strong desire to explain the tragedy. At least five separate boards of inquiry on both sides of the Atlantic conducted comprehensive hearings on the Titanic's sinking, interviewing dozens of witnesses and consulting with many maritime experts. Every conceivable subject was investigated, from the conduct of the officers and the crew to the construction of the ship. The U.S. investigation lasted from April 19th to May 25th, 1912. In all, more than 80 people were interviewed. Notable witnesses included 2nd Officer Charles Lightoller, who was the most senior officer to survive. He defended the actions of his superiors, especially Captain Smith's refusal to decrease the ship's speed. Many passengers testified to the general confusion on the ship. A general warning was never sounded, causing a number of passengers and even crew members to be unaware of the danger for some time. In addition, because a scheduled lifeboat drill had never been held, the lowering of the boats was often haphazard. Perhaps the most scrutinized testimony came from the crew of the Californian, who claimed their ship was some 20 nautical miles or 37 kilometers from the Titanic. Crew members saw a ship but said that it was too small to be the Titanic. They also stated that it was moving and that efforts to contact it by Morse lamp were unsuccessful. After sighting rockets in the distance, the crew informed Captain Stanley Lord, who had retired for the night. Instead of ordering the ship's wireless operator to turn on the radio, Captain Lord instead told the men to continue to use the Morse lamp. By 2 a.m., the nearby ship had reportedly sailed away. In the end, the U.S. investigation faulted the British Board of Trade, quote, to whose laxity of regulation and hasty inspection the world is largely indebted for this awful fatality, end quote. Other contributing cases were also noted, including the failure of Captain Smith to slow the Titanic after receiving ice warnings. However, perhaps the strongest criticism was levied at Captain Lord and the Californian. The committee found that the ship was, quote, nearer the Titanic than the 19 miles reported by her captain, and that her officers and crew saw the distress signals of the Titanic and failed to respond to them in accordance with the dictates of humanity, international usage, and the requirements of law." End quote. In May 1912, the British inquiry began, and it was overseen by the British Board of Trade. Little new evidence was discovered during the 28 days of testimony. The final report stated that, quote, the loss of the said ship was due to collision with an iceberg, brought about by the excessive speed at which the ship was being navigated, end quote. However, it was also stated that, quote, they were not able to blame Captain Smith. He was doing only what other skilled men would have done in the same position, end quote. Captain Lord and the Californian, however, drew sharp rebuke. 
The British investigators claimed that the liner was only 5 to 10 nautical miles, or 9 to 19 kilometers, from the Titanic, and that, quote, she might have saved many, if not all, of the lives that were lost, end quote. Both the U.S. and British investigations also proposed various safety recommendations. And in 1913, the first International Conference for Safety of Life at Sea was called in London. The conference drew up rules requiring that every ship have lifeboat space for each person embarked, that lifeboat drills be held for each voyage, and, because the Californian had not heard the distress signals of the Titanic, that ships maintain a 24-hour radio watch. The International Ice Patrol was also established to warn ships of iceberg in the North Atlantic shipping lanes and to break up ice. The U.S. and British inquiries did little to end speculation and debate concerning the sinking of the Titanic. Particular focus centered on the Californian. Supporters of Captain Lord, nicknamed Lordites, believed that the captain had been unfairly criticized. They argued that a third ship, possibly the Samson, a Norwegian boat illegally hunting seals, was between the Leyland liner and the Titanic. That view eventually gained much support. Crew members of the Californian did not hear rockets being fired, though the sounds would have been audible if the ship had been within the distance claimed by U.S. and British investigators. In addition, people aboard the Titanic stated that a vessel was headed in their direction which could not have been the Californian, which was stopped at the time. While the true location of the Californian will likely never be conclusively known, many experts believe that it was actually some 20 miles or 37 kilometers away and would not have reached the Titanic before it sank. However, Captain Lord has continued to draw criticism for his failure to take more action in response to the distress signals. Within days of the Titanic sinking, talk began of finding the wreck. Given the limits of technology, however, serious attempts were not undertaken until the second half of the 20th century. In August of 1985, Robert Ballard led an American-French expedition from aboard the U.S. Navy research ship Noor. The quest was partly a means for testing the Argo, a 16-foot or 5-meter submersible sled equipped with a remote-controlled camera that would transmit live images to a monitor. The submersible was sent some 13,000 feet or 4,000 meters to the floor of the Atlantic Ocean, sending video back to the Noor. On September 1, 1985, the first underwater images of the Titanic were recorded as its giant boilers were discovered. Later video showed the ship lying upright in two pieces. While the bow was clearly recognizable, the stern section was severely damaged. Covering the wreckage were rust-colored, stalactite-like formations. Scientists later determined that the rusticles, as they were named, were created from iron-eating microorganisms which were consuming the wreck. The Titanic, located about 13 nautical miles, or 24 kilometers, from the position given in its distress signals, were explored numerous times by manned and unmanned submersibles. The expeditions found no sign of the long gash previously thought to have been ripped in the ship's hole by the iceberg. Scientists instead discovered that the ship's impact had produced a series of thin gashes 
as well as brittle fracturing and separation of seams in the adjacent hull plates, thus allowing water to flood in and sink the ship. In subsequent years, marine salvagers raised small artifacts from the wreckage as well as pieces of the ship itself, including a large section of the hull. Examination of these parts, as well as the paperwork in the builder's archives, led to speculation that low-quality steel or weak rivets may have contributed to the Titanic's sinking. Countless renditions, interpretations, and analysis of the Titanic's disaster transformed the ship into a cultural icon. In addition to being the subject of numerous books, the ship inspired various movies, notably A Night to Remember from 1958 and James Cameron's blockbuster Titanic from 1997. In the late 20th and early 21st centuries, artifacts from the ship formed the basis of a highly successful exhibit that toured the world, and a profitable business was developed transporting tourists into the Titanic's wreck. However, many opposed the removal of items. The issue became highly contentious, complicated by the fact that the wreckage lies in international waters and is thus outside the jurisdiction of any country. Diving the wreck now, as you may already be aware, is a very dangerous task, since the wreck is located about 13,000 feet or almost 4,000 meters deep, the pressure is extreme and the waters are freezing. This wreck requires a submersible to dive it. Even then, it takes 150 minutes to get to the required depth to view the Titanic. Between the currents, lack of light, and immense pressure, many things can go wrong. It's one of the reasons that since this wreck was discovered in 1985, fewer than 250 people have personally viewed the Titanic and the surrounding debris field. The most recent dive that I could find took place in August of 2019, the first dive to the Titanic in nearly 15 years. Over the course of the five submersible dives, the team surveyed the sunken ship and saw that while parts of the wreck were in surprisingly good condition, other notable features of the ship had been lost to the elements, such as the captain's bathtub. Park Stevenson, a Titanic historian who attended the dives, says, quote, the captain's bathtub is a favorite image among Titanic enthusiasts, and now that's gone. That whole deck house on the side is collapsing, taking with it staterooms. And that deterioration is going to continue advancing. The Titanic is returning to nature. End quote. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Narcosis Into the Deep. I'm your host, Alex, and if you have any questions, please feel free to ask them on the podcast's Instagram page at NarcosisPod or on our Discord server. Both are linked in the episode's description. Please don't forget to subscribe and rate the podcast. If you want to support the podcast, there's always Patreon or sharing with a friend. Becoming a patron comes with many benefits, such as voting on what to hear next, exclusive updates, discounts on merchandise, and more. Music